This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, October 21st, 2022. I'm Mark Balanja. In the report this week, why teachers are needed to save the planet from climate change. The new ILO Director General starts his fight for social justice. The Labour Start report about union events and rapping. This is Radio Labour. Teachers globally recognize the urgency of transforming education systems to respond to the climate crisis. That is Johanna Yara Ostrand, a vice president of Education International's executive board representing the European region. She is also the president of the Swedish Teachers Union. Education International, EI, is the global union which represents 33 million teachers and other education workers around the world. Ms. Yara Ostan was speaking at a recent EI conference in support of the Global Union's Teach for the Planet campaign. We are faced with an existential crisis, like we had a battle for our lives. And the education sector must play its role in the struggle to protect both the current and future generations and sustain our planet. By taking a lifelong learning approach from early childhood education to adult and higher education, learners will be empowered to contribute to solutions. With our global Teach for the Planet campaign, Teachers have been calling for immediate reforms to ensure that education systems are fit for purpose in the context of the climate emergency. Already, children, students, teachers and communities, especially girls, people with disabilities, indigenous peoples and those in countries who have contributed the least to causing climate change are being severely impacted. The effects of climate change, such as heat waves, floods, and extreme weather events are threatening students' right to quality education and teachers' right to decent working conditions. Our manifesto on quality climate change education for all outlines a vision where all education institutions are safe, climate resilient, and sustainable. Every student receives quality education in the context of climate crisis through well-funded public education systems that prioritize climate education in curricula, teacher training, and policy. And that every teacher is supported and enabled to teach for climate action, providing students with skills, knowledge, and attitudes to live sustainably, adapt to climate uh, impacts, and hold policymakers accountable to reduce carbon emissions and center climate justice. We are, therefore, thrilled about the development of the Greening Education Partnership. This is a unique opportunity for governments to commit to bold comprehensive action to make their education systems climate smart. And on behalf of of teachers across all regions, I urge every government here today to commit to the partnership and earmark the necessary resources to enable green education. 
One crucial component of the partnership is to commit to building teachers' capacity and readiness to teach for climate action. This is critical. A recent EI UNESCO survey showed that approximately 90% of nearly 60,000 teachers surveyed believed it was important to teach about the severity of climate change, but only 40% felt confidence to teach about the topic. And to provide quality education in the context of the climate crisis, teachers of all subjects and grades need quality training for climate education, both through pre-service and professional development opportunities. Teachers also need the enabling conditions and support to provide climate education. This includes quality teaching and learning resources, opportunities for collaboration and innovation, professional autonomy, and time. You can find more information about EI's Teach for the Planet campaign at ei-ie.org. The newly installed Director General of the International Labour Organization, Gilbert Humbeau, has declared social justice to be his primary goal. The ILO is the UN specialized agency focused on matters of work in the world. At the core of social justice in the world is the development of social protection plans such as unemployment benefits and maternity leave. In an interview conducted at the ILO's headquarters in Geneva, Mr. Humbo described his commitment to social justice. He mentions the ILO's tripartite structure, which brings together as partners governments, business groups, and labor unions. While I grew up in circumstances that are certainly far from being the ideal, um, for me it's okay. What is not okay is that 50 years later, 60 years later, we still have the same um, challenges in a lot of parts. All the world has made um, great progress. We still a lot of challenges that I find it unacceptable. And that being said, um, is going without saying that um, through the whole tripartite approach, we, we need, for me, it goes back to the push for a better social justice. If we start um, um, looking at it, as you said, not only the, 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 the divide between uh, poor and rich, uh, poor countries and, uh, and the rich countries, but also within, uh, within uh, countries. So to me, the, the policy making level, be it at the national or the international, the multilateral, the trade agreement, the, um, the foreign direct investment, and the whole supply chain, we have to ensure that social justice remain at the core and therefore contributing to the fight against inequalities. So for us and for me, the universal social protection, making sure that in every country, every citizen has access to a minimum package of protection is going to be crucial. It's a very big daunting task, but we really need to study and that is going to be a core element of my term. As part of its campaign to promote social justice, the ILO has produced a video on the subject. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed deep-seated inequalities and significant gaps in social protection everywhere. The ILO's latest World Social Protection Report shows recent developments with new data and statistics. It reveals that only 46.9% of the global population are covered by at least one social protection benefit. 
This means that barely 18.6% of unemployed workers receive unemployment benefits. Only 26.4% of children and less than 29% of vulnerable persons are covered. A mere third of working-age people have access to sickness benefits by law, and only 33.4% of persons with severe disabilities receive disability benefits, while 44.9% of mothers with newborns receive a maternity benefit. 33% of the population are not covered by a social health protection scheme, and 22.5% of older persons still receive no pension. However, the pandemic provoked an unparalleled social protection response as a primary tool to protect people's health, jobs, and incomes. But with an uncertain recovery, further social protection spending to ensure social stability is crucial. Nearly all countries, irrespective of their development level, have arrived at a crossroads and face a choice. Whether to pursue a high-road strategy of strengthening their social protection systems, or a low-road strategy of chronic underinvestment, minimalist provision, and succumbing to austerity. Establishing universal social protection is possible, as realizing the human right to social security for all is the cornerstone of a human-centered approach to finally obtaining social justice. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the ongoing violations of labor rights in Qatar as the start of the World Cup looms. We also carried news of the impact of inflation on workers' living conditions across Europe and the opening of nominations for this year's Arthur Svensson Prize for Labor Rights. And we had coverage of union-provided safety training for French journalists assigned to cover mass demonstrations, capacity-building training for Iraqi unions, and of the general strike in Palestine. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news items about the push for workplace menopause policies in Ireland's banks, how Brazil's Bolsonaro government directly caused the deaths of 4,500 healthcare workers, the vast majority of whom were women, and how the gendered nature of nursing is helping define the New Zealand nurses' strike. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week includes the intervention by the South African Nurses Union in the criminal trial of a man accused of murdering one of its members, demands by a Canadian union for a criminal investigation into a fatal oil refinery explosion, and a new campaign to end workplace violence and harassment in Indonesia's textiles industry. Our current photo of the week is of one of 60,000 Mexican telecom workers who launched their first strike in 40 years last July. The walkout is just one of thousands of actions being taken by unions around the world as inflation continues to erode wages. Labor Start hosts online solidarity actions at the request of unions around the world. This week, we'd like to highlight urgent appeals for online solidarity with trade union activists in the Philippines, Canada, Myanmar, Belarus, and Kazakhstan. If you can spare just a few seconds, you can do your part in these struggles by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of these and other campaigns on our site. 
This is Derek Blackheader from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. So often we overlook the worth and the significance of those who are not in in the so-called big jobs. But let me say to you tonight that whenever you are engaged in work that serves humanity and is for the building of humanity, it has dignity and it has worth. solidarity.